Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. I know you're like me. You have a vision. You got a purpose. You're driven by it, amongst other things. And this show is all about bringing some of my favorite people in the world that I've, whether I, I've connected with them because of the show or people I've known for years. I'm bringing on uh, someone who uh, hopefully will be a new friend of mine, a pretty cool dude to th- this week. Excited to have you meet uh, Matthew Genuzek. 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 Uh, Genuzek. Genuzek. <laughs> Great, strong last name. I, I thought mine was strong uh, German, Brawning, but uh, Genuzek takes the cake for this. Uh, Matthew is a health and wellness fitness expert, entrepreneur, and this is what's uh, certainly got me to stop and look. Uh, he turned his passion, which is fitness, into a $33 million global business. He co founded his business, Escape Fitness, and now he's taken that to a global brand that's been chosen now by big brands such as like independent uh, fitness professionals like Equinox, Massive Gym, uh, One Rebel, Sanctuary Fitness, and even the UFC. He has continued to be a powerful advocate for functional training. I want to talk to you about that because I'm a big, big advocate as well. Um, I, I, Yeah, we'll talk about that. I love functional training. I think it's the, uh, the alpha and the omega when it comes to health. Uh, their goal is to motivate and inspire people to get started and create exercise habits that last. It's not about a fad. It's about something that you can do for the rest of your life. Uh, Matthew travels the world. He's helping studios and gyms turn their visions into world-class fitness destinations and awesome training experiences, just like he did with his own brand. He started five companies, still sits on the board of three companies across three continents. He's from London, the UK, lives there uh, part-time. He's living in Newport Beach as well with his family. How cool is that? Uh, and in his spare time, he also, of course, interviews industry experts, sharing insight and experiences on his Escape Your Limits podcast. So excited to get into all this and more with Matthew Genusek. Matthew, welcome to the show, brother. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for the intro. I was just wondering who, who, who's, who you're interviewing today. Who, who am but, I um, talking about? <laughs> sounds pretty impressive. <laughs> I, I always, when I go speak on stage, I, you know, I always say, man, thanks for that intro. I wrote it, but you read it and you <laughs> powerfully. <laughs> But uh, you know, this is exciting, man. I'm excited to get into all this with you. Um, you know, how did you did you grow up in the UK? First off, I mean, I can tell from your your accent, of course. But did you grow up there? Yeah, I, I was um, born and bred, as they say, about about an hour north of of London. It's in a it's in a place called Cambridgeshire, a little, little village called Yaxley. So that was that was why I, um, I grew up. Very very small little village and town. Not not too many people. Um, Shout out to Yaxley. <laughs> that's Yaxley, right. Yeah. An hour north of London. If you're, we might have a listener in Yaxley. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you will have. Yeah, even if it's my mum. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope at least we can get your mum. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in a pretty small town. Did you, Did you stay there most of your your uh, childhood, or did you move anywhere early on? What What was kind of life like early on for uh, Mr. Janusek? Yeah, I um, I. I I, I sort of went to school around that area, although I, I, I absolutely sort of hated school. It, it just wasn't for me. Being told told what to do and having to sit down and listen to things that you weren't interested was was difficult. So I, I was I was a bit of a disruptor for you know to, to to amuse myself. I used to 
create things to to do and and, and upset a lot of the teachers. So um, so yeah, not not particularly not particularly great, and and that's not a lesson I would um, I'd want to recommend for anybody listening. But um, now, why do you think that was? Was it something ingrained in you, like kind of a DNA thing of like I just don't understand why these rules are in place if it didn't make sense or like my brother got in trouble a lot, and I think it was because he was overly intelligent. Not to, <laughs> but seriously, right? If, if you're a little smarter than average, maybe a lot of kids are smarter and they get bored and they get in trouble. Were you like just getting bored at school, or was it like did you see the rule thing and think this is dumb? What's going on? Let me. Was that your thinking that young? Yeah, not not really. I, I've I've spoken about it before, and you've kind of got the. You've got the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and those people that you know drop out of a, a you know, huge university and start their business because they're super intelligent. And I, I think I just dropped out because I didn't enjoy it and wasn't wasn't particularly very good at it either. So I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm sure I, I'm, I sit on the high intelligence, but I, I was. I, I guess just yeah. I was bored, and I even find um, as, as I'm older now that if, if I've not got things to occupy my mind, if I'm not busy or if I don't have more a lot of stuff to go at then I start creating problems and you know meddling in things and you know generally not not satisfied so I think for me I just really thrive on having interesting exciting stuff to do um, and 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 having you know purpose and have you know being occupied with something um, so I, I think that's probably my drive and that's probably why I, I'm good at business because I you know as you know yourself, you know, being in business, there's always something going on and a problem to solve and a market to go after. And I think that kind of suits the way my, my mind works, I guess. Do you, how early do you remember feeling entrepreneurial or business minded? Cause you, I mean, five businesses for goodness sakes, uh, were you like a lemonade stand kid and that kind of deal? Or did you, or whatever you sell tea, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, or did you like think you were going to go more traditional and then you got pulled out from it you know a lot of people go down maybe a college or corporate route and go man this isn't for me I want to run my own business and some people were you know hawking uh, candy at school in third grade w what kind of kid were you like and uh, and what's your earliest entrepreneurial memory I, I remember from being really young that I, I used to love to work anything I could do to work and, and make a bit of money I do so my I, I had a cousin he was in the building business so I if I used to go and help him shovel concrete and stack bricks and do that kind of thing. Um, my, my grandfather had a dental business that I went to work for and every school holiday, the, the sort of highlight of my holiday was going and working in his business for two weeks, you know, cleaning stuff. And, and what age and, were you when you were going into the dental office? Um, I was probably, probably sort of, I don't know, 10, 11. It was before, it was before sort of like at what we call senior school. Um, and then I always remember at school, you know, I used to, I used to have things in a, I had, had a toy cupboard and these drawers and I remember it used to find broken toys and stuff and I'd take them to school and sell them to people and, and then, you know, just buying packs of chewing gum and selling individual sticks. I, I'd always sort of <laughs> done. Can I tell you, I, I did the exact together. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you buy a, a five pack of chewing gum for 25 cents and then sell individual sticks for 10 or <laughs> yeah just just I, I i i used to enjoy and even at lunch times you know kind of i'd go around and kind of get get 
some money together to buy some crisps and then I'd share them with, with people. But I, I was always the instigator of like, okay, well, I'll collect the money. I'll go to the shop. I'll bring it back and you know, get something for myself at the same time. You really so, have always sort of thought that way. Did, were, were your parents entrepreneurial? You said your grandfather uh, ran a dental business. Uh, did they like, were they like factory worker dad? Did, did he start something? What, what was, uh, did you get inspiration from or, or maybe because of how your parents were, what what was that? What was their position in that? Yeah, I I think so. Without kind of, I've not really given it lots of thought, but I I guess my so my grandfather always had his own business. So he he kind of used to in England we call it wheeling and dealing, but he always used to sort of have something going on with his own business, or there'd be things and people that I always remember as a young age who'd be involved in doing some something like that. So I, I guess. I, I looked up to my grandfather and, and then also a big influence was, was my father. So he, he was a factory worker, like you said, and, oh, wow. and, and you know, left school, did an apprenticeship, um, did, did things the right way, went, went to work in a brickyard and then he was an engineer trained in that. And so he, he always worked for big companies, but he, he always used to, he was, I, I guess, a, a bit of an inventor. So when I was, a, when I was younger, I always remember him inventing machines and, you know, kind of, different ideas and then I'd used to you know go in the car with him to you know sit at the back at some of these meetings and used to listen to him trying to convince people to buy them uh, you know that used to be at, you know like a, when we used to go on holidays as a kid <laughs> part of it would be a business trip which is still what I do now to this day so my my guess is there must have been some you know that must have rubbed off on me I suppose when you said you wanted to anything you could do to start like working or or all the help you were doing and whatnot growing up was what was the drive for that? Was it entirely monetary? It's like, Hey, this is a chance to make some money, have some freedom, get what I want. Or was there anything else that was inspiring that as, as you think back to that? It, it was, um, it was definitely not the money. Like I, I, I it was I, not the money. It, no, I, 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 and I always enjoyed getting the paycheck. I remember you used to get these Brown little envelopes and they'd put, money and coins in and that, that was a that was a great experience on a friday getting your getting your little envelope um that's mm. what people used to do years ago uh, when they dealt in cash so, so that was exciting but it wasn't you know I, I would have done it for almost any amount of money for me it was it was about having a job and, and a job with some purpose my, my friends did paper rounds and i never it's just i guess because everybody did a paper round i never wanted to do that because i just felt it was like well everybody does that anyone can do it there, there's no there's no real purpose for me. I, I wanted to do something like a big, big boys job. You know, I wanted to go and work in, you know, in a, in a builder's yard or I wanted to make stuff. It was, it was, it was a bit more than just a job for the sake of it. And it was more than just doing it for money. So it, it would have made you feel something. It would have made you feel different about you feeling, and I want to put words in your mouth, but like, <laughs> cause I relate to that a lot, like almost feeling more significant, like, Hey man, like I can, I'm capable. Um, I'm not just doing that. Plus a paper route. Uh, I guess in America would be a, just a, a paper route. Like it's got to be almost boring. Like what do you, you're not accomplishing anything, right? It's like you run through, you run <laughs> through, you throw papers. And then the day you're like, well, I threw papers next day you do it again. You're not. Whereas if you're working in the builder's yard, it's like, Hey, look at that wall or look at this building. Like it's changed. We've, we've created something. Was that, and I'm just kind of reading into it, but was that something that maybe was important that, that bled into uh, what you started doing in your own businesses? Yeah, definitely. And I did do the paper round. I helped friends out and I did it for a while, but it, it was, it just didn't seem to be any, 
point to it. And, and even when I was working in the different jobs I did, you know, whether it was working with my cousin who was a builder or my grandfather, they would obviously always start me on the crappy jobs, you know, shoveling cement and mixing it and all that. And, and for me, it was always about, okay, I've done the cleaning, I've done the shoveling, I want to do, you know, I want to start putting bricks down, I want to, I want to do more of the sort of important stuff. So it was very much about growing and, and doing more significant work than the basic stuff. I think that was probably my bigger driver. I wanted to progress in whatever it was. You know, for my grandfather's, I was cleaning these, these tray things that you used to have to do, which I did, but I hated it. But I wanted to do the real work. I wanted to make teeth and, and, and that, that type of stuff. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your first business then. So you were just like working, working, whatever you could, wherever you could, building significance, contributing, working towards purpose, working towards vision. Like, I get that, man. That is awesome. Um, how old, how old were you when you started your first business and what was it? Or is this, was this the one you've had a bunch since then? Yeah, we, we, we've always, so I went, I did, I went and ended up working for my grandfather's business, um, which I, I didn't really enjoy. It was, it was kind of like a job. Um, so I did that and it was very, extremely low pay. It wasn't a, a very profitable business, but it, it gave me some foundations. And so I, I did that and I always used to do things on the side. So I, when I did that, when I first started, I would, I'd work in a, I went to work in a nightclub in the evenings because that, again, was another thing. I like working, so I'd Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would work in the evenings as well as the day. I got to meet people and started in the restaurant, and I wanted to go into the bar. So I, I did that, and then I, um, as, as I sort of got a bit bigger and stronger through my workouts, I, I then progressed to be working on the door as a doorman, which was, which was, which was great. You know, that was almost like the best position you could have because you'd decide who came in and who, who, who could and couldn't come in and you'd, you know, meet all the best people and all the nicest girls and, and that sort of stuff. So I, I did that. And, you know, when you, when you're doing that type of job, there's also side jobs as well. So, you, you know, you can make money doing selling tickets and other things. So I, I, I guess, you know, um, applying those those skills to that, and then I, I think the first sort of business as such, you know, first entrepreneurial venture outside of you know wheeling and dealing, as I, I'll use that sort of word again, <laughs> um, was was we we, we then um, decided to to do these parties. So it was similar theme to the nightclubs, where we would we would just rent the nightclub from from the owner, and we would promote it we would sell the tickets and we would pay, you know, pay him to rent it and hire a DJ and then we'd keep the rest. So, so that was something that I, I got involved in, in, in my early twenties. And we, you know, we did a few, some of them were terrible. We lost a lot of money and some of them were great. But fortunately there was, there's enough great ones to fund a weekend of partying, which was really my main reason for doing it. You know, I had very short goals. It was like, okay, let's make some money to have a great weekend. And, uh, <laughs> And and that's how I, how how I used to live, really. You know, it's it's funny when when a lot of people in the business when they're that age. I've I've interviewed actually a couple people that that was one of the first businesses was well, you know, I was partying a little bit, and so we started. I was a club promoter and <laughs> yeah. and all that. Um, how old were you when you started working out? Like when did I was become a thing? Yeah, I, I started when I was, um, I think it was about fifteen, fifteen or sixteen. I was uh, fell off my roller skates, damaged my ankle ligaments in the ankle took took uh took took some time off school which was great you know i loved that being off school for for a week because i couldn't walk um and watched pumping iron for 
every day, several times a day, and and fell Sports in love team, with right? yeah, f- fell in love with the bodybuilding idea, and um, and and that kind of you know that's a real big dream. I, I wanted to become, I wanted to be Mister Olympia, and I wanted to compete in bodybuilding competitions, which which I did. I, I didn't, I didn't get anywhere near Mister Olympia. Um, but I did compete as a junior. I was average, but it was it was great fun. You know, it was, it was a really fantastic part of my life, and the people I met, and the experiences, and the, the learnings through training for a competition, and and having the discipline that you need to be able to do that, and the confidence to get up on stage, and all the stuff that you that, that you learn from going through that experience was was, was fantastic. Yeah. And, and look, you, you didn't get too far away from uh, Mr. Olympia. I mean, on your Escape Your Limits <laughs> podcast, you guys got to check this out too. It's really sweet. If you like fitness at all, especially the entrepreneurial side of fitness, you get, you, you interview some really cool people on here and you actually have uh, a three-time Mr. Olympia. Frank Zane is one of your interviews. That's episode 26. That's uh, uh, super excited to check that one out. And then you have a whole bunch of like gym owners. Uh, you get the creator of P90X, Tony Horton. That's awesome. So you, like you have some really interesting spots where you get into, uh, into some of this, you know, you got Tito Ortiz in here. Like you really just, you're crushing it here, brother. You're crushing <laughs> it. I love that. Uh, so yeah. check out Escape Your Limits podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. Um, what, what spawned the idea the very first time you ever thought of the idea of having your own, uh, did you just think of having your own gym? I don't, did you see it as, as big as it was going to get, or was it like, Hey man, I'd love to have, you know, a functional fitness, you know, gym and, and a warehouse. And that, that would be the end of it. How old were you when you thought about that? And what was the extent of the vision when you first thought of it? Yeah. Well, we, we had, when I was, when I was a teenager, my father and myself and one of my training partners at the time had, were thinking about doing a gym. It was, it was, uh, you know, we, we found a location. We were trying to raise money. We, we, we went quite far down the road, and, but, but for, for different reasons, that never happened, which was, which was pretty sad to me because I, the, 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 um, the, the sort of dream of actually working in a gym that I own was just the best job ever. You know, that, that to me was, was just, yeah, that, that, that would have been like a dream come true. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And I, and I guess... My, my father and myself always used to talk about doing a business together. He wanted, he was working in a, he, he developed, he, he progressed very well in the companies that he was working for, but he wanted to work for himself and, and I wasn't happy with what I was doing. So we always talked about coming up with something and we tried, we tried everything from, we, we, we brought ladies clothes. I sold them in Poland, knock, literally knocking on doors of shops and selling dresses and jumpers and market stores and all that kind of thing. And, and through that, we, um, and the reason, you know, it's a bit of a reason to the story. So I'm, I'm obviously half Polish, my father's Polish, and he always had this idea that Poland as a country would, would change and it, you know, it would become an open country, which it wasn't at the time. Um, it was a closed, closed country. You couldn't, couldn't do business. You couldn't come in and out. Um, so he always believed that when that changed, there was an opportunity in Poland that the country was going to develop, whether that's buying from the country or selling into it. So we, we kind of kept talking to people and trying ideas in Poland. The first one, which was clothing, didn't work. Um, but although we did make profit and, and, and through that business, it gave us a shell of a company um, in order to sort of take that to the next stage. So, so the clothing failed. I was in the gym one day, just in between sets on a bench press, looked over in the corner, 
the guys who you, you had in my gym, you had the bodybuilders and then you had the Olympic lifters, which wasn't what it is today. You know, there wasn't CrossFit or anything like that. You know, the Olympic lifters were people that were training to be in the Olympics. Um, and when we always, I always used to look at the weights and all the bodybuilders did because the Olympic lifters had the best weights, these really nice rubber ones. And the bodybuilders had these cheap, you know, one side was 20 kilo. The other side was marked up with 20 kilo, but it was 15 and it was never even. So we had the cheap weights and they, they had the good ones. But the point of the story was on the side, it, it had Poland written on there. And that's where these plates were being made and they were shipping them all over Europe. So I came up with this idea, said to my father, look, what about, you know, do you think you can find out where they make these in Poland? And maybe there's a business opportunity to bring them into England and I could sell them to gyms. So that was really the the this sort of extent of the vision. It was, it was nothing more than trying to get a business going, make a little bit of money and, and come away from what we were, we were really doing. You know, we didn't imagine it was, we were going to be in 80 countries and it was going to be the size it was. It was, it was just getting into something that we think we could do that we were, we were passionate about. And, um, and that, that's really how, how the whole idea started. It was, there was no business plan. There was no market analysis. There was, there was no contact. There was no funding from the bank to do it because we didn't have anything to, you know, to, to lend it against, really. We didn't have any money or anything like that at the time. So it's everything that you would recommend not to do if you started a business again from scratch. And if you were to start it again from scratch, what would you do differently and what would you do the same? Well, we've obviously gone on and opened you know, several other different types of businesses and some have succeeded and some have, some have failed. And I guess the um, I guess to to answer that that question, I think it is important to understand the competitive environment. So now, although we're not starting new businesses, we're taking on a lot of new products in that, that, that you would sell to different channels. So in some ways, it's like creating a business because you're developing a product, you're you're raising capital to to get that to market. You're you're pricing it you're understanding different sales channels so so the principles are fairly similar so i I think the first thing is to make sure that that you've got um a a product that the market needs um you've that you've got your um you understand who the players are that you're up against um you make sure that you're you've got something that's unique in some way but it's not so unique that it's it's too far ahead of where everybody's at at the moment so you know you know, certain ideas that have been around for a long time. I was listening to the story on a podcast yesterday um, about the guy from Spotify. And, you know, he came into that business extremely early, um, you know, before people were even thinking about um, websites and taking payments in that particular way. And it, and it took them a long time before the stars aligned and, and it, things became possible to make that business suddenly expand massively. And, I think in the same in, in the business that we're in or in any business, you know, sometimes you can have a great idea and because you really understand it, you see the potential, you see the vision, but it's, it's not everybody else are quite ready for it yet. Certainly not the mass market. And, and, and what happens is it can take you a long time to educate people. And that's what we're talking about. We're educating people about a need that they don't realize that they've got. Well, what a different kind of business, you know, I use the analogy a lot of, are you selling an aspirin or a vitamin? And if you're in business selling aspirin, it's a thing people think they need. If you're selling a vitamin, it's a thing you need to educate people that they should have for the long-term results. Do you feel like you're in more of a vitamin style business? I mean, it's a pretty close metaphor being in health and fitness. 
but is it a lot of education that you're doing now or are you kind of marketing in the fitness world more along the lines of, Hey man, you know, you're overweight or, you know, it's time to get, make a change. They already know it. And then you provide a better solution. Do you relate to one side or the other? Yeah, I, I guess there's a few ways to answer that. And, and there's a lot of different degrees in, in between those, those two as well. Um, so I'll sort of, I'll, I'll back up, I, I guess in, if you if you're one product company, then you know you, you can either go down the, the vitamin, um, which is a standard you know multi call it vitamin uh, vitamin as we say, um, you can have a vitamin, um, or you can have something that's popular now like CBD. You know everyone's like, oh okay, you see all this promotion about CBD. I'm sure it's great for you, but a lot of people don't really understand if they need it, if it's safe. So, so there's a massive amount of education involved in getting people to start buying CBD. And then once they understand there's a need of it, then you sort of come into, well, what's the right brand to sell? And then you get the next level up is, you know, well, are people prepared to pay for cheap CBD or can you get people to pay for a high quality? So there's, there's lots of different things that you can do. But so I, so I guess the first thing is if you are selling something like a vitamin as opposed to an aspirin, there's education involved in it and that's going to cost money. And how far along that spectrum do you want to go from a multivitamin, which people do get, even though it's more than an aspirin to something like CBD as an example, or a green drink or something where, where there's even more of an education. That's the first thing. Yeah. It's interesting. It's also like more of a specialized niche as you think about it too, right? The niche of people who, who know they need a multivitamin to the niche of people who know they want green mineral drinks there's a certain amount of people, right, that have like, hey, I'm educated in this already. I know I want this, but it's much smaller. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's still very small. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I've been drinking, take, having a green drink for about 10 years. I was turned on to it by, I went to a Tony Robbins event and everyone was Same. drinking the stuff. And, Same, and so man. I've done it. And even nowadays, it's still, you know, that's 10 years ago. And even now people are still just being turned on to it. So it can take a long time. And you've got to be prepared to stick with it and you've got to have cash flow whilst you're educating the market and you're waiting for the market to take itself on. The other option is to take the aspirin approach and find a product that people already know they need. Um, so let's say a treadmill, for example, everybody knows they need a treadmill. Everybody kind of gets the benefits of working out on a treadmill. They know what um, it is and so forth. Yeah. There's, you're not really got to have a massive amount of education, but then well, what's different about your treadmill and everyone else's. So the obvious one that people go is, well, my treadmill's cheaper. So that's a difficult, that's, that's fine if you're just starting off because you can have the cheapest treadmill because your overheads are smaller. But then if you, you know, suddenly when you start getting overheads, you're going to be similar to everybody else. And then it's how do you separate yourself from everybody else there? The good thing about a treadmill is that if you, if you have got a bit of a niche and a customer base, you know, that's a, that's a nice bread and butter product to give you that cash flow and that base to then build on and, and, and then add your sort of, you know, your more vitamin type of thing, uh, you know, if, that's, if, if you've kind of got that portfolio approach in your business. But if you've just got one or two products, then, then you've got to think about what's involved in getting both of those to markets. And if you don't have a lot of money like we didn't, um, and, and you, you know, you, you're just working yourself and your mate or yourself and your wife or whatever, then you've got to, you've got to kind of create a product and a route to market that fits your capabilities from resources, you know, financial and human resources. So I, I guess that's how I'd answer the question. Just make sure what you do matches your capability. And if it's a heavy educational-based product that needs a lot of money before you're going to see any cash flow, then you're probably not going to get that off the ground. You'll probably go out of business 
before it makes any money. Now, did you start creating your own products? Like, did you say, hey, we're going to create our own supplement or our own like exercise band or whatever it was? And uh, or did, were you more in the market of, hey, let's find these existing products and whether it's white labeling them, you know, for your own thing, but they're already done. Did, did you create anything on your own, invent anything on your own? And if so, like, what's an example of that? I'd love to hear a story. Yeah, we, we've done a lot of, of stuff on our own. And but that's not how we started. And this is this is, again, an important thing for people who are thinking about getting into business and wanting to know where to start is that we, what we did is we partnered with people to do the things that we couldn't do ourselves or couldn't fund ourselves. So for example, cash, cash was tight in business. It, you know, it always is in a product based business anyway, cause you're buying inventory, but we didn't have a warehouse and we didn't have a lot of money to buy inventory. So we partnered with a company that had a product portfolio that was complete. They even had some, they even had some catalogs that were ready. So we didn't have to print our own. Um, and, and they get, you know, we managed to negotiate some form of credit. So all we needed to do is to sell the product. Once we sold the product and ideally collected the money is we would order the product, ship it to the customer, deal done. So, so that's really how we built, um, we built a base of cash. Now, so you would do drop shipping uh, product by product, client by client, rather mm-hmm. than having to hold any inventory on your own as well. So you didn't have to manufacture, you didn't have to source and you didn't have to inventory. No, none of that. And we, we just didn't, even though we knew we needed to, we just didn't have the money. It was so far out of, out of our possibility to get a warehouse and to cover those costs that we just didn't do it. So we managed to, to, to just start, and I'll call it again, you know, wheel and deal. We managed to sort of balance the buying and the sales cycle and just focus on selling and marketing until we, we put some money in the business that we could go to the next stage. And when we, you know, when we started to look at the products we had, they were, they were nice products but other people had access to them and, and we believed that they could be better. So, so what we then did is we said, well, look, let's actually develop our own dumbbell was the first one we started with. Let's design our own dumbbell in the way that we think it should be designed. So we, we changed things you know, quite, quite a bit from what was being sold at the time. We made it stronger and we made it more durable and we put some design on it, which at the time people weren't doing, you know, just simple design, simple color, that was that was quite radical in innovation back then, and then we 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 then had to get a warehouse and bring it in, and obviously the, the profits on that was a lot higher, but also our costs were a lot higher as as well. So we we you know we kind of evolved with the dumbbell and then started to to move more and more products over where we were buying them ourselves as opposed to representing or dealing somebody else's products. So let's pivot just a little bit too off of the product and, and let's talk about Escape Fitness. So what exactly is Escape Fitness? Is, is, did it start as, is it a gym? Is it a product brand? Is it all of those? None of those? Explain to me kind of the, the model of Escape Fitness. And then I love uh, kind of briefly, how, how did you begin the growth process? So now, now it, it's a little bit clearer as to what we are when, when, you, when you start. <laughs> and stay hydrated, by the way. Stay hydrated. Yeah, that's right. When, when you start, certainly when we started a business, we didn't really have a long-term vision. We didn't really know where we were going. And, and, and I, I think it's, it's important now if I was starting to really map that out quite clearly because it saves a lot of detours and, and dead ends and, and wasted time and energy because we didn't, we weren't really clear. So we experimented a lot. We, we did try. So, so to answer your question, what do we do? We're, we're a functional training 
um, equipment provider. So we're a, it's a business to business um, model, and we'll supply uh, commercial fitness centres around the world with um, everything they need to create a functional training area. So we would we would help them with the design, we would help them with the equipment that goes in that space, we would train their trainers on how to use the equipment. And we would give the trainers workouts and programs if they, if they needed to on how to create workouts. So we'd, we'd sort of go in and do the whole concept. And, and that's so really A to Z for a functional training gym. So if it's a new one or if it's a franchise or a chain, you're going to go in everything from here's the plan, here's what you're going to need. You supply the equipment and then we'll even train you how to use it, give you systems. And, and I'm sure you've added more and more over time. Of, yeah, of what you can offer to them based on well, you know, we do this, we give them the equipment, but then gosh, like they probably they go somewhere else for training. Why don't we provide the training? Is that the kind of thought model, or did it all come out at once that way? Yeah, that's that's so that's who we sell to, and, it, and it's everything from like from a small independent boutique studio to a big multinational chain like a twenty four hour fitness that have got hundreds of locations, um, and and. You know every everything in between. So that that's our customer. The the way that we evolved it was, in, I suppose, it was less about saying, "Well, look, there's a business opportunity here." It was more about the the fact of when we when I started working out, it was it was pretty simple. You had your free weights, then it went on to your big box gyms that had a lot of cardio and fixed machines, and then probably five years ago trainers realized that there was a better way of working out than putting people on machines uh, to, to, to get that result. So functional training became a term and people were using clubs and kettlebells and Bulgarian bags and all these kind of funky tools that allowed you to work out in a very effective and efficient way. The problem with that type of business, uh, that type of product is is if you go to a chest press, you sit on it, you adjust your seat, you stick the pin in, you get your weight right, and you just the machine does the rest. If I gave the average person a Bulgarian bag or a kettlebell or something like that, then you know they'll do a couple of basic moves, but then outside of that, they're going to be stuck as to how to do it, and they you know they probably struggle to get a couple of full workouts by using those tools. And and this was the same not just for the users but for the trainers. So what we what we thought is that if we want people to continue to buy our equipment. And by more of it, we need to make sure they really they're really getting value out of it. So we came up with our education to to educate people how to understand and maximize the tool. And then we came up with the creation of workout programs to show people, look, you know, this is how you get an awesome workout in 20 minutes using a couple of simple products. So it was more created out of a a, a need as opposed to saying that there's a lot of money to be made in education. Mm. So talk to me just uh, briefly as we, as we kind of wind down our time together, uh, talk to me about the expansion process. Is it, so originally when, when I first just even heard your name, I thought, oh, he has a gym uh, franchise or a gym chain, but right. it's not your clients are really gyms are, are the biggest ones. Um, talk to me about how you got into getting a client like Equinox and then certainly UFC. So are you, are you in all some of the UFC gyms? How does that work? Yeah, we've got you get a contract like that. Like, (laughs) I I know a lot of people in business, whatever, whoever your UFC would be, you know, maybe it's a Fortune 500 company to speak at or whatever. Uh, It's like that unicorn of man, if I could get my stuff in there, if I could get my book on Oprah, (laughs) then then I'm making it. How did you how did you get that? And then what does that what does that look like? What does that contract look like? Or what does the situation look like? 
Yeah, we, we've been going for 20 years now. So there is a certain element of um, demonstrating what we're able to do, delivering what we're demonstrating we're able to do, and then having customers you know, come back to us time after time because we've, we've been a good partner for us. So that goes a long way. And the only, you know, a big part of gaining that experience and reputation is just time. You know, you've, you've just got to, you, you, you can't necessarily fast track that, um, that easily, you know, to get your big accounts, some of, some of them, you know, particularly when you're talking of the of big, big companies, they want to know that you're stable. They want to know that you've been around. They, they, you know, they, they don't want to take a big risk on a little supplier that's probably going to let them down. So there's, there's an element of that. But when we first started and we weren't known and we did need people to give us a break and um, we had that when we started our business in the UK, we then opened an office and distribution center in Germany. So we, we were doing the same thing to the German market. They're like, okay, well, it's great you're big in England but who you're working with in Germany. And then a similar thing to when we went out to Asia and when we opened in the US most recently is people, you know, pe- people need the assurance and the confidence that they're making a good decision uh, by, by buying from you. So one of the things that, you know, one of the most important things I've found is, is getting in front of these people and, and, and developing some relationship and, and, and getting them into the, um, you know, getting them to buy into to who you are and what you're doing. Because, you know, in some cases that just having a conversation with people and finding out what's working and what's not working, if you, if you look at some of the areas which are not working for them and you can help them out solve a bit of a problem, then although it might be small business and it might not be the type of business that you really ideally want to get, it, what it does do, it demonstrates your ability to be reliable um, and for them to trust you. And things will always go wrong. You know, you, nobody... I don't know anyone, and I'm, I'd be surprised if anybody else does, that, that's absolutely perfect and stuff doesn't go wrong. Even if it's out of your control, like a courier lets you down and they don't deliver on time. So stuff's going to go wrong. And, I, and I, I think even if you get that little break, it's how you handle things when they go wrong is more important than the stuff that you do that, that goes right. Because it's, it's at those times where you, the people that you're trying to work with need you to, to, you know, to be all in and to help you you know, to help you solve a problem. And really, I, I put, our business started exactly in that situation where one a customer that we're trying to deal with, one of the biggest operators in England, he was let down by a supplier. It was Friday night at 5.30. Everybody was going home. I get a phone call. This guy opens tomorrow. It's a grand opening and he's, he's not got any dumbbells. Can you help? And, you know, the obvious thing most people are doing, well, it's Friday. I'm, you know, I'm out. I'm partying. Um, so I, I said, <laughs> look, you know, as long as, he's, as, long as he can... St- stay around and he's prepared for me to get up there then I'm gonna you know I'm gonna finish my day job which I was doing at the time in the dental laboratory I'm gonna drive home I'm gonna pick up my jeep I'm gonna fill it up with some dumbbells and I'm gonna drive I think it's about three or four hours on a Friday night I'm gonna drive up there and I'm gonna deliver him his dumbbells and I did that and the guy you know he was over the moon he could open he gave me a card he says look you need to speak to my boss um and um we, we should be doing business together and that was my break you know that that opened up the door to so much business just from that one situation. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> uh, amazingly so. What, what's the lesson from there? Put that on a bumper sticker for me. <laughs> I, I think it's just uh, probably as cool as it sounds, but, you know, be prepared to do things that other people are not. You know, un- understand who you're going after. Understand, you know, everybody's going to have 
an Achilles heel. They're going to have some issue at the moment. And, you know, be prepared to sort of, as, as Gary V says, you know, eat, <laughs> eat crap um, and do the stuff nobody else is because that's going to, you know, that's going to sort of pave the way for some greater things. You know, if, you, if people expect uh, that it's all going to be brilliant and roses and you're going to have your perfect client and you're going to sell them the exact great products from the start, then, you know, I, I don't know that really. I've, I've not seen that reality. So I think it's, it's just about, you know, being prepared to do the stuff that people won't do to get you the position that, that, that you want to be in. Mate, we just got your social media uh, Instagram post for when this episode drops. Be prepared to do the things others won't. That is how you succeed in business, according to Matthew and Jan Uzek. Uh, man, this has been a phenomenal time. I've learned so much, and I've really enjoyed uh, hanging around, getting to know you a little bit. Um, love to talk more. I'm sure we can find a way to do that. Guys, uh, make sure you follow Matthew uh, at Instagram, and you can find him at LinkedIn as well if you're a business owner. If you, know, if you go to a gym, for goodness sakes, connect the dots and, and talk to the gym owner, talk to the manager and say, you guys need to work with Escape Fitness because he's the man. Uh, you can follow him at Instagram at Matthew. It's two T's, just like my name, Matthew Januzek. It's J-A-N-U-S-Z-E-K, Januzek. And of course, I'll have that in the show notes. Just click on it. Follow him on Instagram. Grab him on LinkedIn and connect as well. And check out Escape Your Limits podcast. We plugged it a little earlier. Um, you know, do you have a kind of a, a 30 second version of what's the podcast about from your perspective? Because I probably butchered it when I talked about how cool it was. Yeah, just just really it, it was it was created for the sort of 16 year old me that didn't have any inspiration to, to show me that anything's possible if you have a good plan and you've, you know, you, you, you're committed to achieve something. So I, I really wanted to just meet all the people that I'd seen succeed in my world from from trainers entrepreneurs, presidents of companies, and, and just understand what they'd done to become successful. And most of these had started off, you know, as, with a YMCA qualification as a trainer, and they'd gone on to run and own some pretty impressive businesses. So I, I think, you know, if you're interested in business and fitness, it's, you know, it's, it's some great lessons in there. Uh, it's, it's incredible. We have a bunch to talk about off air too, I hope. Uh, but man, I mean, you got like, you guys, seriously, go to iTunes. Like right, as soon as you finish rating and reviewing my show, so make sure you hit five stars, leave a review. As soon as you do that, go on the search bar and, or just click the, no, don't even do that. Just click the link. We'll have the link for Escape Your Limits. Um, dead serious. I'm going to listen to this as soon as I finish my interviews for today. I got one more after this and I'm done. Episode 65, one of the most recent ones. Strength Science from Dwayne The Rock Johnson's uh, Health Consultant. This is with Dr. Jim Stepani. Um, that is amazing. I mean, I don't know anyone who doesn't love The Rock. I love The Rock. Uh, and he's, I mean, goodness sakes, he looks like a million bucks. He's in the best shape of his life if you compare him to any other time in the history of his life. And he's 40 now. Uh, so that one, and it looks like it's one of your highest downloaded ones. So check out episode 65, uh, Strength Science from The Rock's uh, uh, Health Consultant. That's pretty cool. So check that out. Escape Your Limits, man. Love this. Uh, love our time together. Final question, and I'll let you get going. I appreciate your time, man. I know I've already stretched you a little bit. Um, okay. Of this whole entrepreneurial journey, and honestly, your whole life journey, if you could change anything, how you approach something, what would you change? Or would you leave it all the same? <laughs> wow, know, that's, a, that's a big, big question. Um, what, what would I change? Um, it, I, I guess, you know, really, I, I, I wouldn't be where I am today if things hadn't have 
panned out in this in this way and I you know fortunately for because of my business and the industry that I got involved in I met my wife and um, I've, I met so many great people and I'm here in California. So, so, so I guess I, I wouldn't want to model with it really. Um, <laughs> there's probably a lot of things I, I, I would do differently going forward, but I, I don't think I'd want to, I don't think I want to mess, you know, sometimes you, you know, it's, sometimes you just got to kind of go with, you know, you got to follow the journey. And I think one of the things I've realized as I've got a little bit older and, um, you know, certainly more experience in business is, is sometimes you, you want to take a step back and imagine being in a helicopter watching yourself in this movie because it's, it's at the times where you think they're absolutely terrible that if, if you saw the movie from the beginning to the end, it's what makes it a, a fantastic movie. You know, there's very few great books and movies where it was like, you know, he started, he was a great success, the end. You know, that, that's a pretty crappy movie. You know, what, what you want is you want some excitement and you want some drama and, and you want to be able to sort of be able to look back <laughs> without being sort of attached to it too much and say, well, that's a great part of the story. And, you know, look what came out of those lessons. So, so I, think, I think it's just being able to sort of take, take a step back and, and you know, view it and enjoy the ride as, as uh, you know, as, as overused that phrase is, but I, I think it's very true. Enjoy the ride. I, I couldn't, uh, <laughs> I couldn't end this, this show on a better note, guys. Enjoy the ride. Matthew, thank you so much for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. I've enjoyed it. I uh, remember guys, uh, follow him, follow Matthew at, uh, Instagram at Matthew Januzek and it's in the show notes and then check him out as well, uh, on LinkedIn. Make sure you go to escapefitness.com. There's some cool stuff on there. Uh, you can, uh, I think there, there's all sorts of, if you're a business owner, especially, there's going to be lots and lots to check out uh, at, math, uh, at escapefitness.com. And then last but not least, of course, go check out his podcast. I'm downloading it. Literally, I'm subscribed. I'm downloading it right now. Uh, Escape Your Limits. It is awesome. So many great guests. Uh, really, really excited about diving into this podcast, Escape Your Limits. All right. As usual, get out there and crush it. Have an awesome, awesome weekend. I'll see you next week.